Welcome to the Triple V Podcast. In today's podcast, we are joined by Demir, the CCO and co-founder of Matalus. Matalus is using Orkilabs' patent-pending shared AR technology, and they are on a mission to paint your life spaces with love by creating genre-defining experiences in shared AR. All right. Um, I would say um, we make the transition into introducing Matalus. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Good day, depending on where you are. I'm Damir from Matalus. So very happy to be here. I have to say this is my first AMA in a, in a different Discord, so uh, very psyched. So let's uh, let's start first with uh, what is it, what you do at Medalus, and then what does Medalus do? So, um, yeah, um, I am Damir, and uh, I am uh, from Croatia, where I'm currently at. Uh, I spent 11 years in China. Uh, where I did a PhD in anthropology, and then after that I got interested in something which is a lifelong love of mine, which is gaming. So I worked as a narrative designer in a company called Mechanist Games for a couple of years, where we built some games which had around 5 million daily users. Um, and then I actually got a job offer in NetEase, which is the second biggest IT company in China. It's kind of like the Chinese uh, Gmail. Everybody has a NetEase email account, and they were building up their gaming uh, department. Uh, but in that moment, I came back to Croatia because I had uh, a situation here, which I had to come back for. And then I realized that the startup scene in Croatia is pretty crazy and things changed a lot in the decade that I wasn't here. So I decided to stay. Um, a couple of uh, months later, uh, Nils called me up and we started Matalus. Um, and Matalus is an organization on a mission to bring into the human consciousness the idea that digital things can be real. And the way we're doing this is by creating companions and toys in augmented reality. Um, these uh, companions and toys, they are shareable. And the experience that you can have with other people make, the, make these interactive uh, things genuinely feel real. Um, the uh, idea behind the name of Matalus is what we want to do is we want to bring into the mainstream the idea that if anybody talks about an interactive AR object, they call it the Matalus object. So the same way you Google uh, information, we want people to use the word Matalus for anything in AR or mixed reality that can be uh, interacted with in real time with your hand. Uh, so that's that's one version of uh, how I could describe Matalus. Another one is that Matalus is actually a cultural project to help humans inhabit this consciousness of accepting that digital things are real. And and uh, the way that I would argue uh, that digital is real is uh, exactly this kind of community that I'm in right now where I am sure some of you are friends and uh, find each other to be people with very similar values and ideas, uh, and maybe you've never met them 
uh, in real life. In fact, maybe you've never even spoken to them um, uh, with the camera on. So yeah, that's uh, in a nutshell uh, what Matos is. Thank you very much, Damia. So can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, when when did Medalis first come about and what progress have you made since you first launched it or um, since you first, you know, incorporated the company or came together as a team? Yeah, so uh, the company was incorporated uh, at the end of uh, May last year and uh, we started off with... Uh, um, the round to with the with the pre-seed round to to get some financing and uh, we were able to raise over one million dollars for that um, and then we did two private rounds uh, for the Metalist token uh, in which we raised two and a half million at uh, sixty million valuation and then three and a half million or uh, a little less than three and a half million in. in uh, for a valuation of 80 million and uh, since last year when uh, it was just Nils and me and I remember we went on our first um, meet up with some investors in, in uh, Denmark and in Sweden uh, since then we grew to a team of uh, almost 20 people and uh, we have built a, a prototype which is uh, actually a closed demo which has over a couple of hundred users right now and uh, if you're interested in that uh, everybody who joins our discord is able to get access to the closed demo through patreon um, we built a we, we made it uh, easy for you to join by using patreon and also because partially one of the things that we really want to do is we want to influence the uh, way in which people look at wildlife uh, organizations and charities which are doing research and protection of animals. So half of all of our Patreon's uh, uh, subscription fees goes to a charity that we choose every single month and uh, our uh, our community members are the ones who are uh, choosing which ones we want to give money to. And then the other half goes to the development. And uh, the closed beta that you have access to is now, um, uh, it, it's, it's still very, I would say it's still very basic from what we really want to do, but we do have uh, interaction with an AR animal that uh, notices you when you come close to it and also we have interaction with the hand. So we have something that allows us uh, a patent pending technology that allows us to actually interact with the pet. And uh, currently it's in a, in a beta stage as well, but it's already working. So um, unlike a lot of other projects in the last year, we've built up um, quite, I would say, quite an amazing product already, and we're planning to go to market in the App Store in Q4 2022. So this year, before Christmas, we're going to have a working version of the app. And uh, something that might interest uh, all of you guys who are into NFTs, we have uh, devised a way to make procedurally generated shaders for every single animal that you can own, every digital pet that you can own. 
which is going to make it slightly unique. Uh, and uh, for now, these are just regular colors of uh, uh, our first pet that we're working on is Shiba. So this is in a way, <laughs> this is in a way our, um, let's say, salute to the whole uh, meme coin and, and crypto community. Um, and in the future, of course, we're going to have a lot of other different types of animals. So this is one of the projects that we're working on. Another one is uh, an app where you can race uh, little hover cars and you can also play against each other. So you can have multiple people in AR, each one of them, each one controlling a tiny uh, kind of like an RC car, which uh, you can uh, um, control and uh, try to bump into other cars to make them go explode. And uh, this is just two of the prototypes that we're working on, uh, which we are currently discussing um, Publicly, we also have another four prototypes that we're working on, which are completely different. Um, the thing about it is, as Nils said, um, you will need an iPhone because currently we're only developing for iOS. But of course, we are aware of the Android market um, and everything that, uh, like tons of users that are on the Android market, but uh, we're developing for iOS first. Uh, this was a decision we made on previous experiences with some of the startups that we've been involved. And uh, it's something that we think is the best go-to-market strategy at this point. And when do you expect to actually hit the market with the first, um, a final, uh, with the first, you know, minimum, uh, what's the term? Uh, minimal. minimal. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we this is going to be uh, this is this should be uh, Q4 this year, and we're we're right on track. Uh, you know, as as development of the game goes, uh, we did experience some feature creep, which meant that we kept on adding stuff. But now we're focusing on making it the best playable experience that we can with the features that we can possibly deliver by the end of the year. So we will definitely have an app in the App Store before Christmas this year. And that's going to be uh, free to play, or do you have uh, in-game purchases? So yeah, there are in-game purchases. Like currently, actually, we don't we don't know how we're gonna um, uh, we don't know how we're gonna monetize the whole thing. But one of the ways in which we see monetization as being something that's fun to uh, consume is. Uh, wearables for the animals, different types of skins, uh, objects that they can interact with and play with. But uh, we haven't really figured that out at this particular point. And it's also because, like, the, the reason why is because we're really concerned in making the quality of the app uh, better than anything that's on the market uh, currently. And because of some of our patent pending technology, like the instant calibration that you probably already know about because Nils spoke about this, uh, because uh, Metalus is built on the Alpi stack. So uh, having instant calibration, which means that you can join an AR space and see a pet, uh, uh, we call them Incos, which is short for incorporeals. So you will be able to see your Inco, or you're going to be able to see a hover car very, very quickly after you scan a QR code on another device. And then also the hand interaction, which is done through our patent pending uh, hand reconstruction uh, will allow you to touch it. 
So this is what we're focusing on first and for foremost. Um, something that I've said before, and uh, Sean, you know this, is that a lot of the games that are in the Web3 uh, space are basically, you know, uh, you know, uh, bad. They're just bad. They're crappy games that uh, are not fun to play. <laughs> They're just, uh, they feel like work. And uh, again, every time when I say this, I would love for somebody to convince me otherwise. Um, oh, okay. I just saw that Neil said that Hendra construction is not patent pending. Um, uh, so, well, Damian, let me ask you uh, one of the needed questions. <laughs> what, what keeps someone from just copying the, the hand reconstruction? Well, here's the thing. So currently, some of the ways in which we're devising the interaction that we have is based on patent pending tech, but also it's not only about the, the patent pending tech. It's also about creating a fun, interesting gaming experience. Uh, we have quite a, uh, I would say, quite a senior team with people who have been in the gaming industry for some of them over a decade. And uh, they're building a prototype of something that's actually interesting and uh, responsive to uh, people who maybe never experienced uh, augmented reality um, on, on, a, on a mobile device. And, and, and more to that, I would say that augmented reality currently, the way that it's uh, created uh, by the technology of these bigger companies is actually like, it's not augmented reality. I would actually call it an augmented hallucination. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you want to have a shared AR experience, currently it's extremely cumbersome. It takes uh, between 30 seconds and over a minute um, to be able to even join another player. And then if you want to join, uh, if a third friend comes and he wants to join your shared AR experience, like it takes another minute, you need to restart. And uh, our belief is that until we have a way to create shared AR experiences, which are seamless and intuitive, uh, it's just going to look weird. Uh, because you remember when you saw people like 10 years ago when they started using hands-free uh, and they were just walking around in, in the street talking to themselves. So it was kind of, uh, impossible to see if the person who's talking to themselves is somebody who is like a schizophrenic or maybe they're just on hands-free. Well, this is exactly what uh, augmented reality, quote unquote, looks like today because we can't really have a shared experience because it's too difficult to see the same thing in the same place. You have stuff like drift, you have uh, very complicated rituals to join. And because of that, uh, currently, I would say that augmented reality is a misnomer. It's uh, just augmented hallucinations. And by our uh, technology, which at this point, part of it is patented, uh, patent pending, we have the seamless experience of joining, uh, having uh, up to dozens of people currently seeing the same thing, precisely positioned in the same place. So... Uh, I would say this is a massive advantage that we have. And also, we have a couple of things, stealthy things, which are uh, which I currently can't really talk about, which which also give us uh, quite a 
an advantage to anything else that's currently on the market. Do you think that just having the better tech is going to make you beat competitors who might have more IP? You know, let's let's compare yourselves, for example, to Pokemon Go, right? They would probably be more successful than Metalist just because of the IP. Or well, would you argue against that? Here's what I think. I think that the Pokemon Go game is successful not because it has AR. It's successful because it has Pokemon. So it's not about the AR mode. Nobody uses the AR mode in Pokemon Go. Like literally no one. Because it's very battery draining and uh, difficult. And the experience itself is quite uh, uncomfortable. Because what happens is uh, your Pokemon start drifting above the floor. And it just feels very uncomfortable. One of our main design principles is something called intersubjectivity. What is intersubjectivity? Intersubjectivity is a human need where you want your idea of what reality is to be confirmed and validated by the people around you. Um, if that sounds a little bit strange, well, then let's just think of an example. Um, you have the, like when you're watching a movie in let's say VLC on your computer and the audio is late half a second, what happens is it feels extremely uncomfortable because the image and the sound are not aligned. There's no congruence, right? So what we as humans require is something called sensory congruence. We want all of our senses to be aligned. And to, to, to do that, we need to have more than one sense at least aligned when we're experiencing something. Now, in AR, this is currently impossible. So, like, I would say that if we had this kind of experience in an AR app already, we could talk about it being successful because it offers an AR, um, like an AR sensory experience, which is congruent, but we don't. Uh, these big companies, they have their IPs that, that they used. And uh, if you look at Niantic, I don't think that any other app that they made except for Pokemon Go was very successful. And, you know, I think very clearly this is because all of their other IPs are not interesting. People play Pokemon Go because it's Pokemon, not because it's AR. How do you go about um, promoting Metalist? And I know you have been, you know, you have been in the stealth mode for quite some time now. So when do you plan out, uh, when do you plan to roll out some of the marketing and how does your approach look there? So yeah, this is um, this is currently one of the challenges that we face because we're technically we're a pretty technically um, um, I would say capable team of uh, of uh, people from all walks of uh, IT and, and gaming industry. Um, we have a very strong vision, but the way in which we are marketing is still in, in stealth mode. Like we saw some marketing being made by companies like uh, Dogami, uh, which which did a really good job. I would say that their marketing is, is pretty, pretty, pretty awesome because uh, they really got a ton of people. They got over a hundred thousand people on their discord when they were before they were selling nfts before the drop but here's the thing see like we haven't really seen any live footage from the app so everything if you go to our socials and if you want to check out our socials i'm going to share it with you in the chat um 
Yeah, so the Discord link uh, I dropped earlier. Real quick. So these are some of our socials. If you go to our socials, you will see that uh, all of it is live footage from the app. None of it is CGI. None of it uh, is is doctored in any way. So we're slowly, sure, slowly but surely building up the um, support that we need to go mainstream in, in all the right uh, marketing and, and social media channels. Um, another thing that we recently did was uh, a podcast where you can hear Nils and me talk about many different things. Um, let me share that too. Um, so the Cyberdelic podcast is uh, a thing we did uh, a couple of weeks ago and we're piloting it. Uh, it's, it's still kind of rough. We produce it ourselves. So this is where we talk about um, how augmenting uh, reality is a human desire. Uh, it's, it's something that we need to do to share our ideas and perceptions in order to feel connected. Uh, in this podcast, we talk about stuff like uh, language is the first way in which we wanted to augment reality. Um, we talk about cultural transhumanism. We talk about all the good stuff that actually helped us create the main pillars of what uh, kind of design we want to do when, when it comes to matterless uh, pets and matterless uh, toys. So um, for us currently, we're very much focused on attracting people like yourselves. So people who are highly uh, skeptical and thoughtful, and they're not easily convinced of something being good. So this is our primary concern at this point. And then once we have the uh, product that we're planning to make uh, be up to scratch, then we're going to start off. We're going to start uh, firing off uh, a big uh, mainstream campaign. Uh, we're talking to a bunch of uh, people in the industry, in the PR industry, to help us with that. And in general, I, we feel very confident and, and capable of uh, doing doing a mainstream uh, campaign which will be successful uh, of course we need help uh, by people like yourselves as well um, we would definitely love to have people who are influential who have interesting and uh, critical ideas about what this space needs to be our uh, community members so and you know obviously i i already know the, the answer to this but for the community's sake does your app look like a web3 app on the front end or is it something where the crypto aspect is not as obvious so here's our our philosophy is that we want to attract uh, mainstream users and the moment uh, that a mainstream user of, of a mobile app uh, hears a crypto wallet they they just like freeze up and and part of the reason of that is just the stigma and of course we know that this stigma is unfounded, of course, especially your community knows that, of course, there are many, many applications of, of Web3, which are phenomenal. And, you know, once this craze passes, the craze with, you know, NFTs just being a speculative asset and actually taking its rightful place as a way for you to have a unique digital asset. Uh, once this happens, uh, we're going to be uh, on a path to, to a more uh, palatable uh, web3 future but at this point uh, we think that the way that we can onboard as many people as possible is by creating a regular app 
where you can buy currency, uh, like an in-app, in-game currency in the web, in the app store, um, or in the um, in-app uh, marketplace. And uh, we have a way for for you to interact with the token. So the token, the Metalist token, will be one type of in-app currency. Uh, okay, I see that we have a question about cultural uh, transhumanism. I'm going to get to that. That's the second thing I was pinged. Uh, so yeah, like what we want is people like your mom, your sister, kids in high school who are playing with this app. And uh, then for some power users, we will have an option for them to manipulate the token, which is in, in our backend. So it's a combination of a regular kind of uh, app experience. And then for some people who want to do more, they can do more with the token in the backend. Why does Metalist need the blockchain? Or does it need the blockchain to begin with? So here's the thing about blockchain. Uh, blockchain is currently an industry and a technology which, in my personal opinion, has been hijacked by speculators. So people who are interested in the blockchain are mostly uh, interested because uh, they want to sell, they want to buy something and then sell it later at a higher price. So um, this is not great. Uh, it's not great for multiple reasons, uh, specifically because uh, once the kind of speculators got the idea of the blockchain, or currently I would say got the, the idea of NFT, they're just going to move on to like the next thing. And uh, this leaves the, the blockchain in a, in a slightly, um, I would say, um, a situation which is not, uh, which it doesn't really deserve. Um, the blockchain is definitely a technology which can help us uh, create certain aspects of, of social activities which uh, never before existed. And you know, I uh, my my background is I'm an art historian, a sociologist, and an anthropologist. And I remember when I started uh, looking at the blockchain sometime in 2016, uh, I was very skeptical about it. And, and I spent around two months, I think, like reading about it and and kind of getting more and more obsessed. And then I, uh, at some point I had this this uh, revelation that blockchain is actually incredible and, and it could do so many things. Uh, however, uh, because of the current market situation, what we're doing with our Metalist token, uh, which we're calling uh, MetaMass, uh, which is similar to Biomass, um, and um, uh, the, the MetaMask token, what it's going to represent is um, we're kind of trying to think about tokenomics from first principles. And we just started really devising a way in which this token might be interesting for users in the app itself. Uh, some of the things that we think about is the stickiness of the token. How can we actually uh, make sure that the users have it uh, in their wallets? And uh, some of the ways in which we devised um, uh, some incentives for people to use a, a blockchain token, this MetaMask token is of ours. Uh, the very first idea was uh, we had was called Save to Play. And the idea of Save to Play was if you have um, a bank account and you connect it 
to the API from your bank account, uh, which is reading the uh, amount of uh, money on your balance, what this does is it will give you a certain amount of the MetaMask token, which you can stake in the game. And the way that this manifests, manifests for you as a player is you have a tree that grows. And this tree uh, is, is built from MetaMask. And uh, the MetaMask grows on it. So you get basically fruits that you can feed the pet and you can uh, use it to incentivize it to uh, uh, learn new tricks and in general to raise your karma score, which will allow you to have a better standing with the pet itself. Um, and uh, the way that this token would work is basically like it, it's a, it's like a staking mechanism, which will then yield uh, 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 some sort of rewards for you. Um, this is one of the ways in which we think the token might be used. Uh, since then, we have uh, kind of uh, graduated onto other things that we're planning to do with the token. And now because we're building um, a whole ecosystem of apps, like the other app, Floret, the one with the race cars, uh, we're thinking about how can we make a, a sticky uh, token, which is going to be uh, available across different types of apps. And, and one of the ways in which I personally think would be a cool way to go about it is um, basically what you want to do is you want to um, exchange something for the time that you spend in the game. I remember when I played World of Warcraft and, and I was building up my characters and uh, I got some unique items or even in Diablo, you know, like I got like a unique item and um, you can't really do much with it except for other people who are also playing playing Diablo or, or playing World of Warcraft, which is which was quite a big community. But what if you wanted to, for instance, in some way, exchange the amount of time that you've spent on an item for something in a completely different game? Well, you can't. And um, there have been some, I remember there have been some attempts to do that. There was a, there was a, a coin called Asobi coin from uh, Japan where they uh, genuinely wanted to do that. They wanted to make a marketplace for different types of, uh, for, for tokens uh, where you could like exchange a certain item for a number of tokens from one game and then buy another item in a completely different game, which I think would be pretty cool. As, as a gamer, I, I would love to be able to do that. Like I can't trade my, uh, trophies and achievements on my on my PlayStation for basically anything. In fact, yesterday I wanted to install some new games and I erased like five gigabytes of achievements on my on my PlayStation because I didn't have enough room on my hard drive. So um, this would be potentially one cool way in which we could see uh, token being used. How would the the value then accrue in the token? So it would always, um, you know. Not always, but in some instances, it would reflect the, the amount of time you have spent in a game, for example, or it could reflect how much money you have saved in real life. Um, but then you would also be in a position where, you know, that value which you have given the token um, can then be, for example, traded for fiat, right, on an exchange. Well, here's the thing. So here's how we approached our investors and our backers. So when they invested in our token, uh, when they when they backed our token, what we did was we said that uh, we are not planning to list on a secondary exchange. Uh, why is that? We did that because what we really wanted to do is we wanted to uh, make sure that uh, all of our backers get a, get a ROI on their investment, but also 
uh, we wanted to make sure that the um, uh, we avoid the speculative asset of building the token uh, and then having it like immediately dump on an exchange the, when we uh, right after our token generation event. So we basically are thinking about uh, you know some innovative ways in which we could uh, make sure that the token actually has value. And we came up with this idea of creating a pool, a liquidity pool for our investors, where what we do is we, with, the, with our investors, with our backers, like with the backers, we think about and then we uh, set, a, set a price for, sorry, I'm being pained. Um, yeah, so we set the price with the backers. Uh, of what the token uh, is going to be. And um, actually, you know what? Um, can I uh, can I tap myself in here for a second, Damir? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, hey, everyone, this is, uh, this is Nils again. Uh, I work with Damir on Matterless. So um, the, the question we, we got initially is, is does uh, Matterless need blockchain? And I'm going to answer that the answer is both yes and no. I'm going to start by explaining why it doesn't need blockchain. Atlas doesn't need blockchain because the concepts of being able to trade animals and have in-game currencies and doing all of these things has been done for decades without the use of blockchain. So you certainly can build uh, pretty much everything we have imagined that we want to build in Matterless without touching blockchain. And I will say that this is not unique to Matterless. This is for most of crypto gaming. Most of crypto gaming could be meaningfully built without blockchain. Absolutely. However, there are a couple of things that, there are a couple of things that have resonated with me personally that we've tried to incorporate um, into Matterless. And one of the things that I find very exciting as an entrepreneur is that NFTs, for example, give us the possibility to allow the trading of the pets or the race cars without us having to build a marketplace. Like the blockchain essentially provides marketplace as a service to us as game developers. Um, we don't have to make a, a place for people to trade. People can go trade somewhere else. Now, I want to put a huge caveat on this uh, notion of trading because I'm aware that I'm speaking to a room here full with NFT profile pictures and there's a certain expectation of what trading NFTs typically means. And what I mean by trading NFTs is not hopping on OpenSea and trading something for a profit. What I mean is I have something that you want and you want to trade with me regardless of if this is going to be a financially beneficial transaction uh, for either party. That's whether or not this is a meaningful financial transaction is not really a concern of mine as much as having people be able to trade if they want to trade. To me, this is how I would like for the NFTs uh, to be viewed inside the game. That if the NFT accrues in value in any way, Sean, it's because you have put effort into this NFT. Your training of this pet 
is what has made it increase in value. So one of the things that that we have um, decided on is that we're not going to use any kind of artificial scarcity to pump up the value of the, the pets. Um, it's not a play like that at all. We want to use the blockchain to have something that is tradable so that people can have a hobby uh, with the Incos, with the race cars, the same way that I have a hobby with 40K, the same way that Damir has a hobby with his Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we want to enable that kind of community interaction. But I would never say that you should buy one of our NFTs because it will increase in value. Uh, I was asked earlier today, you know, like, or not asked, but Sean implied, you know, that NFTs wouldn't hold value if blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, no, NFTs don't hold value. That is that is my boomer opinion. NFTs are not valuable. That That is my boomer opinion. So the reason Sorry. we haven't opened up Matterless to community investment is because we're trying a, a very complicated and novel way of interacting with the token, where essentially we're not going to list it on an exchange, as Damir said. I'm just going to uh, go over this again. Um, so we're not going to list it on an exchange. Rather, people will be buying the tokens without even knowing that they're tokens. We'll be buying the tokens in-app the way they buy other in-app currencies. And if you're a really advanced user, you can connect your wallet and you can pull your in-game currency out and you can start trading with your friends somewhere. But most people are just going to want to buy the in-game currency the way they buy any other in-game currency and enjoy it the way they enjoy any other in-game currency. And that means that the people that have backed us so far, what happens with their tokens and only with their tokens and not with anyone else's. Like if you don't have a SAFT with us, this does not apply to you. But for the people that have SAFTs with us, when um, end users buy tokens out of the app because they love the app and they, they want to feed their ink or whatever, um, then we will be selling tokens out of the tokens that we had already sold to, um, to our backers. So essentially, we set a price, not a market. We set a price based on what we think our players are willing to buy, buy them for. And the reason we want to do that is on exchanges, people are always speculating. But in our app, people buy it because they want it. And the highest price that anyone would possibly pay ever, because, you know, we're still a, a business that needs to generate revenue. Um, the most someone will ever pay for a pet, well, that's the person that wants the pet. You know, if we discount uh, exuberant bubbles where people buy way too much because they think someone else will buy it for more in the future. Like that guy is just, uh, you know, unwittingly being an idiot at that time. The, the person that is willing to pay the most is the person that wants to enjoy the actual thing. So we have sold uh, to our backers uh, some supply of these tokens already for less than a cent each. And we feel very confident that we'll be able to sell these, uh, you know, in the app for a, a very high multiple of that. But that doesn't mean that uh, we expect our players to start trading in these tokens to make money or that we would ever describe this as play to earn. Just because you could technically earn a lot of tokens in the game and you could technically pull it out into your wallet and you could technically go sell it on an exchange somewhere where we didn't list it, we don't think of, of these things as financial asset. It's part of just a finite ecosystem that our player base has to manage and take care of 
and that helps us understand what things our users really vibe with. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair approach, and I, I like I like what you said, uh, and I like the, the different approach, not just with the with the token, but also with the NFTs. I think it's very, you know, realistically speaking, I think it, it's probably going to take a couple of years before we get away from the uh, speculative mindset of everyone involved in Web3. But I think we have to start with changing our language and start with changing the how we approach different projects and how we approach the token interactions with projects. I think it's way healthier if people interact with games or with apps when they want to interact with them on a genuine level and not because they want to interact with them um, because they, they see a return or see a token being yielded. or uh, I mean, you know, we discussed this in, in, in other project channels, right? The, the, the incentive to draw people to a game, for example, just because there's a token and just because that token could uh, accrue some value temporarily I think it's ludicrous because that's going to take the fun away from pretty much anything anyone would ever play or interact with. One thing that uh, Damir unfortunately uh, glossed over that I, I made a note to, um, uh, to remind everybody of is when he says that, you know, it, the token would earn you a yield. Uh, and Damir, it's important for next time that you remember this important detail. We're not talking about giving you more crypto. Yes. Scarce asset. We're talking about literally giving you non-scarce digital assets that you would normally have to buy in the app store for fiat. Right? Why is this meaningful? Well, let's say, for, for example, that you have a kid that's eight years old and loves playing with our race cars. But you don't want this kid to be swiping your credit card in the app store. Of course not. But you also don't want us to be showing ads to your eight-year-old. Of course not. So what can you do? Well, you can buy a large amount of the MetaMask token, park that with us, and we will give just non-scarce uh, items that your kid would want to buy as a yield for the amount that you have put in. And when your kid is done playing, we're not promising that your tokens will still be worth what you put in with us. Absolutely not. But at least you can get some of it back. And who knows? Potentially, you could even get more than you bought it for. Because ideally, we should always be selling the tokens to the end users at the highest possible price that anyone is willing to pay. You know, it's what it reminds me is like buying clothes and then expecting them to be worth more when you're done wearing them and you want to sell them, right? Sometimes it's just about being... Um, happy that you can actually get something back for it, but you're never expecting it to be worth more than what you paid for. I mean, it can be done. Like you can, there are clothes which are uh, more valuable because of the people who wore them. Like for instance, if you wanted to buy like an Elvis Presley suit that he wore, it becomes something of a, of a collector's item. But that's because there is some sort of added value which happened there, which has nothing to, with, to do with the clothes themselves. All it has to do is with the person who was wearing them. So uh, we do see that certain, certain pets, uh, because of the way you treat them, because of the time you spend with them, they might be worth more. But there's also this counterintuitive thing that we're thinking about is if you have a pet that you've been playing with and taking care of for, let's say, three, four years or five, six years, like you don't want to sell it because it's worth too much for you to sell it. 
Yeah, and that emotional tie is only going to happen if the um, technology on the back end is flawless, right? You're not going to get emotionally attached to a pet where the the hand reconstruction is all, for example, and you ca you can't really pet it and, and it looks weird and you know you can't really you don't feel like you're touching it, you know, in the digital space, right? Yeah, absolutely. So. You, you, I think that the last time you mentioned that the 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 app with the cars, for example, that's going to be out by Christmas, right? Or around that time, um, is that an app which is uh, proof of concept? Is it meant to just collect data? Uh, or, or you know, what's the purpose of getting that first app out? Well, the purpose of getting that first app out is to show to our backers and people who gave us money that we're actually building it. Um, this is one of the, of course, one of us, one of our biggest concerns. Um, like we were giving a lot of money, a lot of money to build something very special. And this is what we intend to do. You know, a lot of people forget that in the, in the, in the startup business, you know, and you, and you see the earlier company and, you know, I would say the difference between us and the company is because we're still pre-revenue. We're not a company yet. Like we, we're a startup. We're doing something nobody ever tried before. And what we want to do is something that hasn't, that doesn't really exist. So uh, from from how we started, we pivoted a couple of times and then we uh, expanded our vision to include stuff like AR toys uh, because we realized that there's a huge potential in that and nobody actually did it in a, in a right way. So we're gonna keep on moving forward, and and now that we have uh, this very clear idea of our vision being creating intersubjective experiences, meaning experiences that can be um, uh, like experienced with multiple senses by 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 different people in the same physical location. Like we think that the sky is the limit on on what it can be. Uh, uh, basically built into with time. Um, people talk about the metaverse, you know, uh, the, the metaverse is not a million different places that we disappear into when we are online. Uh, it should be the technology that brings us all back together into the present moment. Um, it's not a thousand different virtual realities. It's, it's being in the present moment. And uh, to do that, we need to consciously engineer what kind of experience we're going to have in, in spatial internet. The spatial internet is coming. Uh, and once it's here, we need to really think about what kind of experiences and, and what kind of companies are building it. Are you going to uh, have Meta do it for you? Like or like a big, a big corporation which is selling your data, you know, you were talking about it earlier. Um, you know, if something is for free or the product, like absolutely, right? In a dystopian world uh, with augmented realities, uh, big companies know uh, what you like, what you look at, uh, because they can see every single thing um, uh, that you're that you're looking at. Because for these big companies, uh, if you want AR, they want to have access to your camera. So, for instance. Um, maybe this company that you're using to project uh, augmented reality images in, 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 your, in your house is going to know when you stop lo looking at your partner, when you're stop, uh, stopping to look at your um, wife or your husband, because they know what you're looking at, right? 
So are you still attracted to your partner? Well, they will know. So we need to really think in a, in a, in a deep and responsible way about this inevitable ever-present spatial internet. And what we're currently building is toy. But uh, as I mentioned uh, on multiple occasions, there's this quote by Chris Dixon that I really like, which says the next big thing is going to start out looking like a toy. And the toys are just the beginning. We're actually talking about something that is the next step in human communication before we have direct neural interfaces and, and we're basically using telepathy. Like, this is what's going to happen. We're going to have an AR uh, reality around us, which are going to allow us to communicate in images in real time. This is what we're really building. I can see that. Believe me, uh, you know, the app and the, you know, even the just the demos, uh, which Niels has shared with us very early on, I, at least for me, it was very easy to, to, to buy into that vision and to understand that what you currently, you know, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but what you're currently playing around with has a much deeper impact and, and a lot more meaning than what's visible on the surface. And I also think, you know, it's important for the community to realize that you go out of your way to reassure your investors that you're actually capable in delivering a product. And what I've seen, what I've seen as a sad trend amongst many games is that instead of just showing something, like even something very basic, even a very basic demo, you know, they don't show, they don't show anything, but they spend a lot of money on a cinematic trailer which you know, to me, it's just ludicrous. Why, why even spend the money on that? Why not just show something of the thing you're working on? What's your take on that? Why do so many other companies like, show nothing? Not even you know, the slightest glance at gameplay or you know, a demo of the tech. They don't have it. Like, they don't have anything. That, that's the reason, right? So like, it's very simple. It's going to be very simple to see if, if our app is uh, successful or not. Is the gameplay going to be good? If it's not good, people are not going to use it. Like, it doesn't matter how cool it looks. Like, it, it really, it's really, it's all about the gameplay. And as a gamer, as a, as, a, as a hardcore gamer myself, PC Master Race, like, I am totally, totally all about making a game, making something that people really enjoy. And um, this is our first test. So we're, we're, we're uh, gray boxing a lot of ways in which we can uh, interact with these metalless objects, with these interactive AR objects. And uh, the moment when it uh, isn't fun, like we drop it. We, we always go back to the fundamental principles. And I think that in the, in the, in the gaming space, you know, having this, you know, the theory of fun is very complex because there's so many things that people don't really understand when it comes to making games. If you build a game that's fun, that's basically like building an airplane from scratch. Like every time when you have a big game developer who's building a game and that game is fun, that's like they built an airplane from like not knowing how to fly. Uh, it's extremely complex. The, the industry of gaming is extremely hardcore and people who are working there are genuinely some of the smartest people in the world who chose to do a job which is very difficult and work really long hours just to make something fun. Um, and I think there is something very noble in that. Like that is the righteous path. Like we should create experiences that fulfill us, that make us think about those best things uh, uh, 
in, in, in the world around us, a community of like-minded people who enjoy things that you can be honest with, that you can do things with in a, in a, in a very um, direct way. And, uh, you know, a lot of people forget about this when they're building something big because it becomes a, a massive investment. But it really all, it is all about that. And, and, and this is what we want to make. We want to make something that um, helps people connect. Like we want to make experiences that make you feel present. Can I, Sean, um, give a perhaps overly serious answer to the question of why projects don't show progress? This is such a cool setting here for this town hall. There's a, a lot of you know investors here looking at projects. Um, I want to share some things that I think you guys should look for when you look at projects. So I've already brought up today that there are fewer engineers in all of blockchain than there is at, for example, Microsoft, or that there is at Apple, or that there is at Facebook. Any one of those companies have more engineers than all of blockchain combined. Um, and most of the people that found a blockchain gaming startups today if you look carefully at their background, you will see that they were not game developers before. That's most of the people that uh, found projects. And typically, the first engineers that they bring on are not game engineers, but blockchain engineers. I'm sure if you go over your you know, favorite 10 blockchain gaming projects, you'll find that in very many cases, it's uh, non-gaming experience founders who are hiring blockchain engineers first. And if you hire blockchain engineers first, then what's going to happen is you're going to build an NFT marketplace first. You'll build a token first, because this is what this, um, this kind of engineer can, can build, right? And someone in this community, I forget who, uh, said to me the other day, you know, like, oh, I'm excited about this or that project because they're partnering with Binance and they're partnering with Crypto.com. Now, normally, in a in, you know, in the traditional gaming space, if you found out that Electronic Arts was partnering with J.P. Morgan to make the next game, you wouldn't be excited about that. You wouldn't be. But for some reason, in this space, we have ended up in a mind space where we get excited about game developers partnering with blockchain people. But blockchain doesn't inherently lead to better game development. You need to look for people that are genuinely game developers. And if you see that the first engineers are blockchain engineers, if you see that the, the founders are not gaming founders, they're going to have a really hard time. And the cheapest thing for them to do is to work with outsourcing studios to make CGI videos, etc. Because making one of these uh, CGI videos costs less than one year salary of a real engineer. Like it's very, very cheap to do. And without naming names, you know, I'm in the space now and I'm talking to other projects that might want to partner with us. And like we come across companies that have raised 20, 30, sometimes more million dollars, right? $20 million or more that aren't really building anything because they haven't been able to recruit any talent yet. They have a bunch of blockchain engineers that are working part-time, 
because that's what blockchain engineers do because there's such a shortage of them that they just jump from project to project and they're working on four different projects at the same time. Um, you need to really look like if you are bullish on crypto gaming, you need to look for game developers that are getting into crypto, not bankers that are getting into gaming. You know, there's two different trends which I've seen in pretty much in all of the gaming, uh, in all of the games and the gaming studios bringing those games to, to a pre. There's two types of founders. It, it's either someone who already had a gaming studio in, in the Web2 world but failed or someone who has never uh, created a game. So the quality of those guys uh, creating games in Web3 is super low because it's only guys who have failed before or it's guys who have never done it before. So the likelihood of those who have never done it before to create a successful game you know, is probably rather low. And the likelihood of those who have failed before creating a successful game you know might be even lower so it's um yeah i mean it's uh quite difficult to pick like any good game and the deal with angelic for example was exactly that the the, the studio behind angelic was um you know over three different uh, shell companies was a different game studio in web 2 before and then if you do some research you find out like you know they just failed and had some management issues and eventually issues with money and so on and the entire thing fell apart and their games never have been successful. So now these guys are selling the dream of a successful uh, Web3 game. And, um, you know, the, the thing which at the time uh, immediately sold me on Godzilla, for example, is that they already had a demo they had some had something which was playable, something which looked fun, something that looked like an actual game, and it's very obvious that these guys at least have a product which which is playable. So whether or not that's going to be good, you know, that's that that's yet to see. But at least they have something. They have some actual substance to what they're building, and everything else, uh, some of the projects you've you named, all of that is just cinematic teasers to probably keep the investors happy and to to keep them um you know to keep the token price up because many times obviously the token is launched before the actual game so all of it is just based on speculation and not really on substance Eth ethical question uh or maybe a, a spiritual question ar around the ar space um to me the flip side of what you're building is potentially you know, maybe temporarily, like isolation of of those interacting with those um, AR animals or AR objects. So you know, if someone is alone at home, they you know they are alone. But then you interact with AR, and you know maybe it, it makes you feel more social. It makes you feel less alone. But then if you, if you fall if you fall into that, and then you know you you interact more and more in the AR world, and every time you turn it off. Um, you're alone again, don't you think that at some point there's going to be like either people are going to get addicted or people are going to get depressed whenever AR is off, so to speak? Um, is this for Nils or for myself? This is for you, Damir. Go nuts. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, so, so here's, here's something to wrap your head around, right? AR will advance human communications 
in a way that is very hard to intuit right now. The strength of AR is not that it will allow us to explore virtual world, worlds. Like I think computers allow us to do that really well already. If you, if you played any MMORPG, uh, like the, the computer graphics at this point are already crazy. If we look at the new Unreal stuff that they're doing, uh, Unreal 5, it, it's going to be nuts. The thing is, AR will allow us to communicate about the world in ways which are just not possible with human language today. So something that we genuinely believe is that um, uh, being able to communicate in images in real time, like it, we're still going to need this intersubjectivity that we talked about. Like we need to have intersubjectivity. We need to perceive things together because no matter how cool your virtual uh, setup is, I don't think a future from real player one is uh, 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 inevitable because here's the thing, right? Like all of us, we really like we're very active digitally online. We have friends online. We have people that we never met online. But something that we all crave, genuinely crave, is to walk around our neighborhood park, to see something green, to be to hang out with friends, to have a beer. Like most people, I would say most human beings require that closeness of others. And the way that AR is going to work, it's actually going to be something that adds to that experience of being physically present. The reason, one of the reasons why we created Metalist and why we thought about uh, companions or pets is because sure, there is a way for you to probably in the future have a pet which is following you across different digital domains. And it's a companion that you, that you have when you're in a virtual world. But here's what we see when we go out into the park every day. We see people walking dogs. And we see people, see people who walk dogs, they, they interact with each other. They hang out together. Like people that walk dogs will inevitably meet each other. We can say the gravity of having a pet is you will have that pet uh, uh, interact with another pet because, you know, pets are not shy. Humans are. But uh, because you, your dogs want to hang out together, you're going to get to know the people who also owns a dog. And maybe you won't even know their name. You're going to say, oh, that's like Pumpkin's owner or whatever, like the person that you meet is going to be because your, your, your pets meet each other. And one of the ways in which we can uh, help make that happen is we have to make a gaming experience which will reward you for being social, for going out into the park, a genuine park, not staying in a fetal position in your own room, you know, your face being lit up by the screen in the dark, no. Like what we see is, we see an AR experience to be inherently a communal experience, an experience which brings you to the present moment and surrounds you with the other people. Yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing point of view. Uh, and, you know, it's much brighter than, than what I had in mind, uh, but it makes total sense. It makes total sense. I, I think it's, it's uh, you know, you could, you could even imagine like, you know, something like a live event happening somewhere in, in the middle of a city and then the entire population goes there to, to witness something in the AR. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, here's the thing. Like, you can't really see a viral event in, in real time. Like, it's impossible at this point. Because when you see something that's viral, you see a recording, right? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, if there is a really cool TikTok video or, or something on YouTube, it's a recording. It doesn't happen in real time. It's because it's impossible to do that with AR right now. 
Well, with our shared AR, it becomes real. Like you can have an event happening in AR that hundreds of people can be, cur currently hundreds, can be experiencing in the same time by seeing the same thing in the same place, precisely positioned in real space, interactive. Like this is something that like, as I say, it's very hard to intuit what, what AR really will do because currently we don't have any benchmark. Like thinking about this is, is really like a mind warp. Like what can we do when we can experience something um, like when we can communicate in images, when I can say, hey, you know, you see that building and you say which one? And I say that one. And you see which one. I don't show you with my hand. You don't look at where I'm pointing with my finger. It just appears in your vision what I'm thinking about, what I'm showing you. Like this is fundamentally a massive shift. And this is going to happen in the next 10 to 20 years. Like the 2020s are the time of AR going mainstream, finally. And, and we all dreamt about it ever since we were kids, like really being inhabiting that internet space. And I don't think that's going to happen in a virtual world. I think that's going to happen in the material world where we're like hanging out the same way we are today. And there are multiple different ways in which we can engage with digital content, which is projected into the world around us. Thank you very much, Damio. And um, before you guys jump off, uh, when we um, come to an end now, please wait five more minutes. I just want to say a couple of things um, after Damian and Niels uh, have jumped off. And obviously, you're allowed to stay. <laughs> but I, I just want to come to an end um, because I can see the, the attendance has like, slightly dropped off. We lost like 20 people in the past 30 minutes or so. And I can tell that after two and a half hours, you know, some people might uh, be running out of time or uh, might be getting tired. Uh, but I want to thank you very much, uh, Niels, for bringing on the heat uh, early on in this AMA. And I want to thank you, Damir, for coming in and providing further insights into Matterless and sharing your, um, yeah, sharing your vision with us and, and sharing your passion. I think it's one of the most important aspects about um, you and Niels to me is that it's very easy to feel your passion in your voice. And it's also very obvious that you guys are in it to do it the right way. And you're not going to get uh, distracted by easy profits or um, you're not get, going to get lured in uh, by someone promising you uh, something in return for getting a piece of what you're building. And I think that's the, the really the only way um, to succeed in this space. And, you know, over the course of the past couple of days and weeks, we really have learned how, how difficult, and I, I don't mean, you know, I don't mean morally speaking, but it, it's so difficult to do the right thing in this space because pretty much everyone from all sides is always pushing you to do the wrong thing. And you're even getting called out for doing the right thing. And, you're even portrayed as the bad guy for, for speaking the truth or for speaking out on things that you don't think are right. And I mean, you know, we have been blackmailed and, you know, a lot of people have implied things where if we don't do X, you know, they will do Y. And it's, it's a really difficult space to operate in, in a um, authentic, 
manner and with integrity because the entire space currently is completely out of balance where those not doing the right thing are currently always, not always, but are currently often rewarded most and always at the expense of the community, the investors or those guys who were stupid enough to, to believe in a lie or to believe in, in a vision which, which they, you know, could have been passionate so I really appreciate you guys being here and you know for, for sharing your point of view and for, for bringing some light into the space. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I'm very happy to come back anytime you guys want. And uh, if you will allow me uh, one more time to plug our socials. So Absolutely. Drop stuff into the chat where you can follow us. If you're interested, if you're interested in the these kinds of deeper conversations about the values and the principles that we hold very dear and which we consider to be extremely important before making any kind of decision, please listen to the Cyberdelic podcast. We are going to be doing a lot more. Currently, one episode is one uh, is out. Another one is coming out next week, and then we are intending to. Uh, Talk about memetics, transhumanism, AR, how it's going to affect daily life. And uh, we would love for you guys to listen to us and to give us your opinion about what you want to hear next. So thank you again for having us here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Damia. And I'm hoping that we uh, have you back and <laughs> that you potentially make VVV uh, your second home, <laughs> just like you said. Um, all right, guys, uh, you know, I, I just want to do one follow up uh, on the initial uh, Snickerdoodle presentation uh, because obviously, I, I, you know, the critique is, of Niels is, is well founded, and there's a lot of things which we have to uh, talk to Snickerdoodle about and where we have to get additional insights and then see, you know, how much of that critique can be addressed by the team and how much confidence uh, they can reinstill into us. But, uh, you know, as an investor, it's um, important to understand that whatever you guys get presented with as an investment, if you only hear the good side and if you only hear the ones either building the thing and raising money for it or the ones arranging the deal for it and potentially collecting a fee on top of that, if you only hear that side, you're always to you, you you will always be sold on the project itself because you will o- you will only hear the positives and you will barely hear any of the like critical viewpoints and the same you know the same is true for the other way around where if you only hear the critique and if you only hear the difficult questions then obviously you're going to be super bearish about the project but it, it, it's it's vital to hear both sides and i think the conversation with Niels today was an important reminder that we have, we really have to go out of our way to ask the most critical questions possible to really always put whoever's the guest on the hotspot and make them feel as uncomfortable as possible. That that's really the only way to get to the truth. And only if we get to the truth, we, we will be able to make an educated and, and good decision about an investment. And, and that's that's pretty much it. Um, you know, I, I don't want you guys to be worried about the the Snickerdoodle allocation, which you potentially have done before. Um, for the next one, we haven't signed anything yet. So if any one of the whales has uh, made their pledge, 
wants to potentially change that pledge and, and you know either wants to pull out completely or wants to adjust the amount they they would have claimed uh, that's completely fine if the community um wants to invest less if they don't want to invest in all that's that's all fine and dandy no one is obligated to participate in any of our deals which we present and i can never guarantee that even after all the due diligence after everything we do i can never always guarantee that all of the deals we bring are 100% a safe bet and there's no risk at all. Uh, you know, it's, it's the exact opposite. Even after the best due diligence, even after asking the, the hardest questions, there are still a million things in, in all instances which can go wrong. And, you know, th- th- there's never a guarantee that something is going to take off. Um, but again, our intentions are pure. We, we really put a tremendous amount of time and, and resources into the research process. We um, tolerate people like me and, and don't ban them. You know, we make sure that they are heard and we make sure that they are, their questions are, are really put into the spotlight where they, they must get answered. And I think that's the only way going forward. Um, and that's the only way where we can really differentiate ourselves as a VC. Um, but also be aware that by doing so, and by being frank and by being transparent, we're going to rattle a lot of cages and we're going to potentially make a lot of enemies in the space. And we can, all, we can already feel that uh, with, the, with a couple of um, you know, other initiatives or projects or other VCs where you know, just by being honest, you're, always going to, you're already getting um, some real bad fe- feedback. And... Still, I want to underline that, you know, initially I, I spoke about, um, you know, the, the, the raffles and, and stuff like that. You know, I don't, I don't mean to attack any particular initiative or any particular project, like, directly. I, I'm just stating my general opinion about what you want to incentivize your community to do. Do you want your community to always be reliant on chance and, you know, just taking a gamble on any investment which you bring, which then potentially makes them less likely to do any due diligence or do you want to do it in a way which incentivizes them to do the right thing but then also makes it much more important for you to do your due diligence and to present the community with all the facts and you know the same with the the fee model or with with something like uh, what we have where the mindis has a certain price but then afterwards everything is free you know do you want to incentivize yourself to either always close the, the biggest ticket possible or to always have like quantity over quality or do you want to set yourself up in a way where it doesn't matter how many deals you bring because you don't make any money from them anyways and it doesn't matter how big of a ticket you sign for because you, you don't make any, ma- any money from the, the ticket size. So, you know, do you want to set what you do up in a way where at least indirectly you are incentivized to do the right thing and then on the back end the community is also incentivized to you know stay aware and be you know remain diligent and not just blindly follow everything you you put on the table for them and you know that's just my rant that i i really have no intentions of attacking anyone or you know making any project look bad or you know making a other persons look bad or making other initiatives look bad. I, I just think it's, it's super important as, a, as the responsibility we have 
you know, in running this, that, you know, you guys have to be aware that what we do or everything we do, we do for a reason and everything we do, we do for a very good reason. And uh, I, I challenge anyone to, to judge on, uh, to judge or to judge us based on our actions. And, you know, you will be hard pressed to find anything which we do or which we did, which was not in the best interest of the community. And you will be hard pressed to find anything in the current structure which is incentivizing anyone from the team to, to even potentially remotely get tempted to, to do the wrong thing. Like everything literally is just based around doing the right thing and set up in, you know, in a way where when we keep doing the right thing, it's only going to make us stronger and not weaker. And that's the same reason why if someone speaks up and has critique, if someone speaks up and finds something wrong with an investment, even if they did it already in the past, you know, let's, let's assume Snickerdoodle would have a, a, a big flaw where now all of a sudden the entire you know, investment would turn out to be bad. You know, I still want to hear it today. I don't want to hear it in, in a year or I don't want to hear it in, in two years. You know, if anything we did ever was the wrong move, I want to be aware of it. And I want to, I want to know today that it is wrong. And then we have the opportunity to fix it, right? So um, no matter what we do, no matter what happens, no matter what happened, um, the truth will always be made heard and the truth will always remain to be incentivized. We will always reward those who, who remain the most critical. And, and I really encourage everyone to, to never just jump on a deal which we bring. Uh, you know, the best example really is Angelic where you know, we pro we presented the deal more or less out of coincidence and because there was some interest and, and then initially the votes were very much in the favor of Angelic, you know, because it's a game, because we hadn't done a deal uh, in, in quite some in quite a while. So, you know, everyone was hungry to do it. But then after some more due diligence and after presenting everyone with the, the truth and with, with the facts, the vote was like uh, 150 to like three or so uh, against doing the deal. And that goes to show that we really have to stay on our toes. And, you know, no matter how good something sounds and no matter how good the guy building the thing makes it sound and no matter how, how passionate we might get about the project, you know, we still rely on you guys to, to um, be the devil's advocate and, and try your best to, to really fund the project. And then, you know, sometime... Uh, in the next couple of weeks or months, we're going to find that one project where no matter how much you fought it or no matter how much you, you try to find something wrong about it, you know, there's not, you know, you, you see the potential and you see that the thing really could turn out to be the next Apple or Google or whatever. And, and that's really what we are playing on. And, and still, even if you, if you find that, you know, there's, there's uh, other variables at play which they cannot influence, which we cannot influence, where even if you find the best, possible project out there you know even if you play poker with the best possible hand they could still go something wrong right so no matter what we do please just always be aware of the inherent risk uh which comes with everything we do with all the investments never put in more than you can afford to lose and, and always be sure that you know you do your own due diligence and and anytime you hear someone speak you know even if you hear Niels uh, speak about Orki, you know, still remain diligent, uh, diligent, and, and still try to to always, even if you have invested, and even if you if you want the thing to go well, you know, still 
always remain skeptical and always try to find something which could be wrong because let's assume we would find something wrong with Orki, you know, if we, if we are in direct touch with the, with the founder and with the CEO, you know, they will be happy if you find something wrong because then it empowers them to, to make it right and to alleviate something which potentially could be a pitfall somewhere down the line. So again, I'm, I'm starting to ramble. Uh, you know, as a German, it's always difficult to get to the actual point. But I think you guys uh, have understood what I want to say. So again, thank you guys for, for listening to us for uh, a ridiculous uh, three hours. I, I really appreciate the attendance. And I'm very much looking forward to talk to you guys again. Um, and yeah, it has been a pleasure. Next AMA is on Thursday, 4 p.m. CET. And that's with Peak. So bye-bye. This recording has been prepared by VVV. The recording is made available by VVV and is for information purposes only. This recording should not be considered as an offer or solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or product, securities or any other derivative instrument or any other rights pertaining thereto. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future value or price of any instruments referred to in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers or employees, do not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of the information. The information contained therein, including any expressions of opinion, has been obtained from or is based on sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy or completeness is not guaranteed and is subject to change without notice. Any expressions of opinion reflect the views of the speakers and are not necessarily those of VVV and are subject to change without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not be influenced or based on any view expressed by VVV in this recording or otherwise. This recording does not address all risks. This recording does not constitute investment advice or a recommendation that has been prepared without regard to individual financial circumstances, objectives or particular needs of listeners. Listeners should seek their own financial, tax, legal, regulatory and other advice regarding the appropriateness or otherwise of investing in any investments and or pursuing any investment strategies.